All right. Uh, well, hey, welcome uh, this morning. I'm glad you're here with us uh, as we continue our series uh, and continuing in Mark. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh Gardner. I'm the minister to students uh, here at Flourishing Grace. So um, I get to uh, spend my week with seventh or sixth, now through 12th graders, uh, and we have a lot of fun. Um, but I'm always excited uh, to spend some time with adults too. For those of you who are parents of teenagers, you know this, um, right? And so I'm excited to get into uh, this with uh, you this morning. And, and really, we're just kind of picking up where we left off last week, um, right? Picking up exactly where we left off uh, with kind of two more situations that Jesus steps into. So last week, just a quick reminder, we, we saw that this storm that was crazy and dark, right, and bleak. And, and the reality was if, if uh, Jesus hadn't done something, uh, man, the, all of the disciples would be dead, right? They would all be dead, but Jesus calms the storm. And then not only that, but then we see a man who's filled with demons, legion of demons, and uh, Jesus casts these demons out into these pigs, right? And we see this miraculous thing happen. And we continue in this with two more miraculous things that Jesus does. But these two things, and I think the other two things apply to this as well, but when I was reading through this, I was thinking, man, these two, these two situations that Jesus steps into in this are really hopeless situations. Like absolutely and utterly hopeless. All four are, but these two, for me, for some reason, hit home a lot more. Um, and so Jesus steps into these two hopeless situations. One of a, of a 12-year-old girl. 12-year-old girl who's who's in, in a Jewish culture, if, if you were 12 years one day, you, you kind of entered into womanhood, right? So she's, she's, she's barely become an adult, and yet she's on her deathbed. And not only on her deathbed, but, but not in several weeks or several months, no, like that day, she's going to die. It's hopeless. It's absolutely hopeless. And then you have this other woman here, who has really, uh, in their culture, been dead for 12 years, right? She's, she's been bleeding, been unclean, been separated from society because of this ailment. And she's been dead for 12 years, and she's tried everything, and nothing's worked. Nothing's worked, and it's actually made her worse, right? It's actually made her worse. But Jesus steps into these utterly hopeless situations, and we see hope. We see hope. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, in, in these accounts, we, we begin to see that Jesus actually has power over our hopeless situations. Um, for some of you, uh, if, if you say, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, you know this to be true about Jesus already, right? Because you and I are hopeless causes without Jesus, right? We are in a hopeless situation, a state that Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we're enemies of God. But then we see that Jesus steps in, and he, he lives the life that you and I couldn't live and dies the death that we deserve and takes our place, exchanges places with us on the cross. And that for those of us who have believed in Jesus, that God puts Jesus' righteousness on us. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you know about how Jesus has power over hopeless causes because you are a testimony of that. I am a testimony of that. We're hopeless until Jesus saves us. And he saves us by his grace and mercy alone. 
just like the woman, nothing we could do, no, nowhere we could go uh, can save us, but Jesus saves us alone. But then also we see uh, in our lives, for some of you, you've experienced other hopeless situations, right? Some of you maybe haven't, but to be honest, if you're a human, you will, right? This is the, the problem of sin in our lives, that, that sin has wrecked our world so much that these hopeless situations just happen constantly in our lives, and we'll all experience them. And the hope of the story is that Jesus has all authority and all power over every situation, even the bleakest, darkest situations. Whether it's a loss of a job and no way to provide insight, whether it's a, a diagnosis from a doctor about a family member or yourself that has a timeline on it, and there's no cure, there's nothing to do, nothing that we can do. If it's a wayward child who you love deeply, you love deeply, you've cared for deeply, and yet some reason, for some reason, they keep continuing to do things that lead them down darker, darker paths of destruction, and it feels hopeless. Maybe it's contention between you and your spouse where it just feels like, man, I, like we used to be in love and everything is just so broken and I don't know what to do. Maybe it's just sin in your life that's persisting, constantly crouching at the door, waiting for you, attacking you over and over again, and it feels as if there's no hope. It feels that there's no hope. But we can see from the story that Jesus has power over these things. But sometimes what, what we end up doing is we do, for those of you in Christ, you cry out to God. Or you ask God to do something in these situations. But just like in the story, um, things don't work out the way that we think they should. We cry out to him. Sometimes he's, it seems like there's too much time of silence. Or we pray for something specific and it doesn't happen and we're confused at what's going on. Um, or maybe God seems distant or maybe it seems as if he doesn't care about your situation. But that's not true. That's not true at all, and this passage reminds us of that. But it also reminds us of this, that God's ways are different than ours. But sometimes we have a solution in our head for our hopeless situation, and God has something better for us and better in his timing. God cares for us more than, he care, than we care for ourselves. That's the reality that we see in Scripture, that God actually cares for us more than we care for ourselves. And so he's going to, when we crowd to him, he's going to do things his way, knowing that it's better for us, when even in the moment, it feels as if that's not true at all. And so here's what I want to do. This morning, I want to point out three observations I see in the text to you of how God's ways are different than ours and how God's power works here in the story and also in our lives. And so, uh, the first one that I see is this, is that God's power is for God's timing. God's power is for God's timing. As we read uh, the story, uh, kind of going through the timeline, right, you may have thought to yourself, uh, man, this is really weird. Like, why, why in the world, if this father, Jairus, who's crying out to God, he, he runs and falls at Jesus' feet, and he says, my daughter is dying. Like, she's going to die today if you don't do something about it, and I know you can, right? And so they're rushing to get to her, right? The disciples are rushing. The crowds are gathering around Jesus, 
right? And, and you might have thought while you're reading this, I thought this, why in the world, Jesus, are you stopping? Like, why in the world? We in our heads put uh, these two situations kind of in different categories. We're like, well, obviously one of them is more important than the other in my eyes, right? There's a, there's a little girl who's about to die. This other woman has been experiencing this pain for 12 years. Could she not wait 30 minutes, right? That's like in our minds what we think because if, if Jesus doesn't do something about this, she's dead, right? So why would you not wait? Why would you not wait? But Jesus takes this time here and he stops when, when uh, the woman reaches out and touches. Uh, Jesus says this in uh, verse 31, and the disciples said to him, uh, or I'm sorry, he says, who touched me, right? Um, and then uh, I love how the disciples uh, kind of respond to Jesus saying, who touched me in this? And it's this in th- verse 31, it says, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd passing around you, yet you say, who touched me, Right? Like, is that not how we respond to God sometimes? Like, what a dumb question, Jesus. Like, there's a crowd around you. What are you talking about? Like, that, like that's how we respond sometimes, where it's like, what, what, what do you mean who touched you? Everyone is touching you. Literally everyone around you has touched you, right? There's a crowd that just won't leave you alone. And they're like, Jesus, we got to go, man. We got to get to this girl. If we don't get to her, she's gone. We have to get to her. But we see Jesus stop. Jesus stops. He stops for this woman who's been in pain for 12 years, who's been outcast for 12 years. He stops. And when we see after the fact, like we can see in hindsight, that Jesus' timing is perfect here. Because for this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, she needed something greater than just healing. Right? Because we can read the story and we can see, actually, that G- without stopping, Jesus healed her. Right? Jesus completely healed her. But then he stops. He stops and he addresses her. And we're going to come back to that in a second. I want to keep going to the timing of when he gets to the, to the little girl. But then, so Jesus stops with the woman, right? And then, and then during this time where he's taking time with this woman, uh, the little girl dies. She's gone. And in our human minds, uh, we, we agree uh, with uh, what the messenger says here. Later, it says, why trouble the teacher any further? Like, your daughter's dead. Why trouble him any further? And from the human perspective, the time had come and gone, and she couldn't be saved. It was done. She was gone. But I love how Jesus responds here. Because Jesus knows who he is. He knows what power he has. He's God of all things. And he says simply to Jairus, he says, and to the messenger, to his disciples, do not fear, but only believe. Only believe. And then he goes into the house. He takes James and John and Peter with him and the parents of the girl. And he raises her from the dead. Like does something even more miraculous in front of them raises her from the dead. Not just heals her, but raises her from the dead. So the disciples and the messenger's timing was off, but Jesus, we look back, Jesus wasn't late at all. He was right on time. He was right on time. 
And to be honest, as Christians, we can do this. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can look back on your life and, and see that hindsight a lot of times really is 2020, right? We say that kind of flippantly, but in reality, it's true. We can look back and we, see, we can see times in our lives where we've cried out to God and it seems as if he's over here doing something else, right? Confusing. God, why are you not here? Like, do you not see that I'm in need, right? But then we can look back and we can see, oh, man, maybe it took decades. Maybe it took years. Maybe it took months. We can see, oh, God, you were actually working in this. Um, and, and I'm so thankful that you gave me this waiting period, this time where I was confused because it actually humbled me or it did different things to me in which I, there were things that I needed that I didn't even know that I needed. I think about the instance of even my wife, Rachel, and I moving here to Utah and being part of Flourishing Grace. Uh, there was uh, about a four or five month period where I didn't know what the next step was for me as far as ministry or what we were going to do. I, if you don't know my background, I'm from Texas. I've lived in Texas my entire life. Um, if you don't know that about me, we probably haven't talked because I talk about Texas all the time. <laughs> uh, but, um, but we were in Texas at our partner church, Church of the Cross, and I was student ministry intern there. And there were months uh, kind of in between me being the student ministry intern of me trying to figure out what God had next. God had next. Months and months of, of going to different churches, of seeing different things that God was doing and, and asking over and over again, God, where do you have me? What is going on? I don't, I don't know what to do. I really don't. Um, and it wasn't until, I can't give you the whole story because we don't have time, but it, it wasn't until God really brought me to my knees where I realized um, I realized that uh, I was going to fully submit my entire life to him, that he brought up this opportunity for us to come here and be a part of Flourishing Grace. And, and it's funny because in the moment, I was frustrated with God. It's like, God, I just, I don't understand. Like, I so badly want to disciple students. Would you just give me a place to do that? It seems like a good thing. It seems like a good cause. Why would you not give that to me? But I look back and I go, man, if, if that five-month period hadn't happened, if, if God had brought up even coming here to Flourishing Grace at the beginning of that, you know, my, my mind, my heart was not ready to leave everything in Texas. It wasn't ready. Like, I look back at that, and if that opportunity had come up here, I would have said no. But over that time, God was humbling me and showing me how much I needed him, how much I needed him and how uh, good he was and how he would provide everything that we needed. And in that time, that waiting period, he showed me that. And then the opportunity came at the right moment, at the right time. And so looking back, I can see that God was moving, that his timing was good. And that leads me to my next observation in this, um, is this, that God's power is for God's purpose. Not only is God's power in his own timing, for his own timing, but God's power is for God's purpose. In these stories, we can see actually a greater purpose than healing. Greater purpose than healing. Greater purpose than resurrection, even. With the little girl, um, she, she's dead. She's dead. Um, and how, how in the world, like sometimes we look at that and we go, how in the world could part of God's purpose be that this little girl would die. How, how is that possible? How could a good God think that? She just barely reached adulthood. And she died. But we see that Jesus resurrects her from the dead. 
heals her and is so tender towards her, right? Like gives her what she needs physically, something to eat as well in this time. Simply takes her by the hand, raises her up from the dead and sits, sits her up and gives her what she needs. And, and we actually see here really that God's purpose in raising her from the dead was almost for the people around her more than it was for her. Right? He brings James, John, Peter, and the parents with him in this. And then they all see him do something that was li- literally impossible. Right? We like to throw that word around, right, in our culture now. But it literally was impossible. Right? And, we, and then they all sit there and they see him miraculously heal or miraculously resurrect this girl from the dead. And Jesus is doing this all the time in his ministry, reminding the people around him of who he actually is, that he is God, that he has authority over everything. And he's reminding them or he's giving them a little foreshadow of what he's going to do when he resurrects himself from the dead and defeats our sin, defeats our death. And, and I have to think, that later, and in, in when Mark writes this down in Mark chapter 8, um, of Jesus talking to the disciples, and he, and he asks them, who are the people saying that I am? Who are the people saying that I am? And, and he kind of says, uh, they say a couple different things, right? He says, well, who do you say that I am? And who pipes up? Peter, right? Peter says, you're the Christ. Like, you're the Christ. You're the one who was promised from the Old Testament. You're the Messiah. You are the one of God who's come to rescue us, to save us. You are, and I, and I can think in that, that Peter's thinking through all these situations that have happened. He's going, there's no way that anyone else could have done the things that you have done. There's no one that could have raised someone from the dead except for the Christ. You are the Christ. But then if we go back to the woman, I would see <clears throat> that Jesus, uh, again, in our purpose, and the greatest purpose we could see is that the woman just needed to be healed, right? Which is amazing. Right, That would be amazing if the woman who's been in this pain for 12 years could be healed, be brought back into society, be made clean. Right, That would be amazing. That would be amazing. But Jesus, even in this, has a greater purpose than just her healing because he stops. He stops. If we look at verse 28, um, it says this, uh, for, uh, sorry, for she said, if I touch his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she fled, uh, she fled, sorry, she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in him that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? So we can see even before Jesus stops that she has been healed. And so we could say, man, Jesus is kind of doing things without it passively, like not even trying, he's just walking, boom, heal, boom, heal. Like, Jesus, why are you even stopping talking to anybody? Just just walk around and like go like this, you know, like, right? But, that, but Jesus has such a, a greater purpose than this because we can see what Jesus does next. He stops because he knows the woman needs so much more than healing, so much more than physical healing. Yes, she needs to be healed. 12 years of bleeding, 12 years under physicians who just have made her worse and worse and worse. Most likely she spent all of her money trying to heal herself, and it did not work. It did not work. She was culturally unclean and outcast. And so Jesus stops, and again, I love the tender kindness of Jesus here. Because in verse 34, he tells her uh, two things. He says this, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
go in peace and be healed of your disease. He brings up two things here. First of all, I love the fact that he starts, he calls her daughter. Like her identity up to this point had been unclean, outcast, dead to the world. But Jesus gets down to her and he gives her a new identity and says, no, 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 my daughter, I love you. I care for you. Yes, I want to stop your pain. Yes, I want to stop your suffering. But also, I need you to know this. The second thing we see is that he tells her what actually happens here. Um, because the woman most likely in this situation thought, you know, she's, she's desperate at the end. She, she like this was kind of a, a common thing to think is that, man, if this, if this kind of big deal person was coming through that, maybe if I just touched them, that something magical would happen to me. Right, that something just uh, mystic and amazing would happen, and maybe, just maybe, I would be healed. Right, most likely, that's the kind of way she's approaching Jesus here. And so Jesus is correcting that and saying, no, 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 look, your faith has made you well. It's not magic. It's not even because of your actions. It's because of your faith in me. Because of you saying, only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can heal me. Only he, only him. He's the only one that can do it. That is what, is what has made you well. And that leads me to my last observation that we see here. Is that God's power is for those who have faith in Jesus. God's power is for those who have faith in Jesus. It's funny because I think, you know, in our lives, faith is kind of a, a tricky thing sometimes to talk about with people. Um, because I feel like people have things like stitched on a pillow or like I feel like I see it on Instagram all the time. Where it's like, you know, if you just had more faith and everything's going to be okay. You know, it's kind of like this mystical like dust that you sprinkle on what you're doing and, and it'll, it'll make it better. Um, but Hebrews 1 shows us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That faith is trusting in something, trusting in something. But the reality is, if the thing that you're trusting in, the thing you have faith in, cannot live up to your faith, then it's, mis, uh, it's misplaced faith, right? I'll give you a, a dumb example, but I think it helps us with this. So um, you've been around, um, I won't count, but uh, the student ministry has broken a lot of things here at Flourishing Grace, okay? It's part of it. I joke that I put money in my budget for it because that's just what happens, okay? We have some fun. Um, and last semester, um, a student broke a bench, okay? Um, if you do a little bit of digging, you can figure out which one. Anyway, so, uh, but the bench was broken, okay? Um, and I, uh, um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, woodwork, a woodworker, okay? So I've, I've built a couple things, built a TV stand, built some shelves, built different things. I enjoy it. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to fix this thing. I'm going to fix it. It was wood with cloth top, okay? I'm going I'm to fix this thing first. And then, like, save some money, like not buy another one. I'll fix it, okay? So I take it home, put it in my garage, flip it upside down. The two legs are, like, gone. Two legs are still there. Two legs are gone. So I'm trying to fix it, and I, I put it together in the way that I'm like, okay, I think this is going to work. And I'm trying to make it discreet so you can't see, like, the random plywood that I'm using from my garage because I'm just like, oh, there's these scraps that I have. And I'm, like, putting it together. And I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, I'm, like, smiling, going, yes, dude, I just saved the church some money. 
right? I just met, I fixed, like, when students do something to this building, I, I put it on myself a little bit. I'm like, oh, man, I should have anticipated that, right? And so I'm like, okay, like, this is great. This is going to be awesome. And so I flip it over, and I set it down on the garage, and I look at it, I'm like, yeah. And I, I trust fully in my work that I've just done here, okay? Like, perfect, perfect, perfect. And so then I just, like, full sit. Like, I don't even, like, like try. Like, that's how much I trusted it. And I sit, and what happens? It breaks more. It breaks more than it was broken before. Not just the two legs, but the third leg comes off and just goes all over the garage. And I'm sitting on the ground, cold, mad at myself, right, in this moment. Um, but, and that's a silly uh, kind of illustration of that. But uh, that's the reality, is if we put our faith in something that cannot hold the weight of our faith, it falls, it's broken, it's misled, right? And this is, uh, sometimes what we do is we misplace our faith. We misplace our faith. And what Jesus is saying here to the woman is, look, your faith has, been not, your faith has not been misplaced. Who you've placed your faith in can uphold what you need, can do what you need. And Jesus is the only one that can do this. There's no other way, there's no other path, there's no other thing that we can do. No, Jesus is the only one that can do this. And both for Jairus and for the woman, uh, we see that they both had this crazy uh, faith. Now, the reality was it wasn't perfect faith, right? We just talked about how the woman uh, was kind of like, thought something mystical would happen. Um, But what we see here is that they both fell down. Uh, there's a lot of parallels in this passage. Uh, man, I, go, go read through it, and you can just write it down on a sheet of paper, put a line, and see the parallels that are here. And one of them is this, that they both fell down before Jesus. They both fell down before Jesus, right? Jairus took, up, uh, uh, or took, on, took on mocking and shame to fall down before Jesus, and, and the woman pushed uh, her way through a crowd, risking everything to get to Jesus. Their faith in Jesus submitted them to him. They put all their hope, they put everything they had into Jesus. You could say this, that they were desperate for him. They were absolutely desperate for him. They knew, they both knew without a shadow of a doubt, in the depths of their bones, that Jesus was the only one that had the power in their hopeless situation. He was the only one. So my, my question for us as we, as, we, um, as we look at this passage is, are we that desperate for Jesus? Are we desperate for Jesus to move in our lives? And not just in hopeless situations, but every single day. Do we look like the woman, Jairus? Do we fall down before Jesus knowing that he is the author of everything, has power and supreme authority over everything, and he has a great and good love for us? He's tender towards us. Even when we don't come necessarily in the right way, but when we come to him, we don't need to know all the answers. We don't need to know everything about him. But when we humbly submit ourselves to him and say, Jesus, I need you. And I know that you're the only one that can do anything. That he'll do something. Do we have that sense of urgency? That we need Jesus every day? Are we desperate for Jesus to move? Are we desperate for Jesus to transform our lives? 
um, to make us the people that, or to, to, to make us look like the people that he already says that we are by his blood. Right? He already calls us righteous. He calls us his sons and daughters. We're desperate for him to move, to make us more like what he already calls us. Do we depend on Jesus so much uh, that we know that his timing and his purpose is greater than ours? So when we, when we cry out to him and we lay down before him, we say, Jesus, I need you, that we, that we say that in such a way where we know that he listens, that he answers that he's not distant. That's my hope for us. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, uh, and that you would spend every day of your lives desperate for him. Yeah, I I think about this with our our students all the time, and I I tell them this, um, that I believe that one of the reasons why God has kind of brought me into student ministry for this time is because uh, there's so many uh, things, but I can boil it down to this, that I wasn't desperate for Jesus to move in every single part of my life until I was in college. And, and I tell him, man, I want you to see who Jesus is so much that you would just submit, surrender everything to him, knowing that he's good, knowing that he is right, knowing that his purposes are better than your own. His, his uh, purpose for you, what he has for you, is better than anything you could dream up in the best dream that you could have. It's better for you. So that's my hope for us too. Are we desperate for Jesus? Knowing that he's already pulled us out of a hopeless situation by dying in our place and that he wants to do more and more with our life as we draw nearer and nearer to him and that he would do these things for our good and for his glory. That's my prayer for you. Let me pray for us to that end. God, pray for us. Um, God, I, I do pray that um, God, you would reveal by your spirit who Jesus is. Because even for those of us who have believed in Jesus, who've said, yes, I need, I've, I'm in desperate need of Jesus, and he saved me from my sin, and he's, he's, he's died in my place, and I believe all that. Sometimes when we encounter things in our lives, these hopeless situations are just... Uh, regular day things, God, we just forget the gospel. We forget the gospel over and over again. I pray, by your spirit, would you, be gra- would you be gracious to us and merciful to us and remind us every day of the gospel? Would you put people in our lives that remind us of your timing and of your purpose and of your tenderness towards us? How you care more about us than we care about ourselves. God, I pray that you would do that in us by your spirit. God, would you, would you move you move in that way? Would you make us a people that is desperate to see you move? Desperate to see sin uh, just relinquished from us, that, uh, yeah, that ripped out of us. God's desperate uh, to see uh, you move in wayward students, desperate to see you move in marriages that, that reconcile things together. God, desperate to see you move in healing for your glory. Thanks.